Well, last week we started a new series, and if you missed it, uh, got a lot of positive feedback. It really uh, uh, spoke to some folks. Um, series is called "Did God Really Say?" And today's topic is "Try Harder." But before we get there, we'll take a minute and review from last week. Last week's topic was this: Did God really say He'll never give us more than we can handle? And uh, it's kind of common belief inside the church. And we looked at that and said, no, nah, God didn't really say that. And we talked about the word theology. Theology is what thoughts you have about God. That's all it means. God thoughts or God speech, whatever you say or think about God. So it's important that you have good theology. Everybody has theology. Everybody has thoughts about God. Even atheists think he doesn't exist. So everybody has thoughts about God. Do you have good thoughts or the right thoughts, correct thoughts? And one big issue when we come up with theology is our circumstances. So we talked about the fact that either your circumstances dictate what you believe about God. So your life is good. God is good. Your life is not so good. God's not so good. That kind of thing. And that's very common, but it's really bad theology. Good theology is what you believe about God dictates how you view your, our circumstances. So, uh, obviously from the Bible, you you should get your theology from church, uh, smart people. (laughs) They can figure that stuff all out. That's where you should get your theology and then view your circumstances through that. So whether your life is good or bad, God's still good. God's still merciful. God's still gracious. God's still loving. God's still all-powerful. God still knows everything. Uh, Those things don't change. So we need to view our circumstances through good theology. So if God didn't say... He wouldn't give us more than we can handle. In fact, uh, that comes from, he did say it in one specific example. You remember the example? Because we sometimes overinterpret, and that's what we did with this passage. We we apply it to all of life, but it wasn't all about all about life. It was all about one aspect of life. Remember? What was the word? It starts with a T. We did a lousy job last year, didn't we? Didn't I teaching this stuff? <laughs> Temptation, remember? He won't give us more. Because we talked about trials. Or, and temptations come with choices. Trials, you don't have a choice. You know, just stuff happens. But here's what he does say about all of life, about trials, etc. He will never give us more than he can handle. All right? This is going to kind of fit in with our topic uh, for today. So, try harder. Did God really say, try harder? Now, it kind of seems to make sense, especially if you grew up with American work ethic, right? You were taught, hey, just work hard, do your best, and you can accomplish anything. You can become president of the United States, right? And so, that was kind of the uh, uh, mentality of our society. The problem is, why are you working so hard? And often, it starts as child, in our childhood, we work really hard to please someone else. We start by working hard to please our parents. And then we work real hard to please maybe teachers. And then we get a job and we work really hard to please our employer. Well, the problem is that spills over into our, uh, into our spiritual life. And so we try and work really hard to please God, which is bad theology. You know, uh, most of the time in my lifetime, when I'd ask somebody the question, how are you doing, the normal response I got back was, hey, I'm fine, even if they weren't. They, you know, they didn't want to, you know, 
burden me with or didn't bother me with or they wanted to keep it private, whatever's going on in their life. But you know what the most common answer I get now when I ask that question? I'm busy. I'm busy. And then if you start talking with that person about it, they'll talk about how busy they are. And our natural reaction is, wow, you think you're busy? You don't see how busy I am. <laughs> you were out three times this week. I was out four times this week. You know, I had to run the kids you know, to, to this and that. No, I had to run them. To, you know. So we get in this kind of one-upmanship on how busy we are. So that's pretty common in our culture today as we're just running from here to there. We are trying hard to get every, all the gusto out of life we can get, I guess. We talk about sometimes about hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And when we have those in those situations, <clears throat> we sometimes try harder to get out of them. Now, just, just logically thinking, if you have a hurt, say I, I didn't, but say I hurt myself yesterday, <laughs> uh, roll my ankle or something. You know, if I'm trying harder, is my ankle going to get better? See, you see, it doesn't work. And certainly it doesn't help with emotional and, and, and mental uh, difficulties. Someone was talking to me about depression last week. If you're depressed, if you just try harder, I'm not going to be depressed. I'm not going to be depressed. Does that work? No, it doesn't work, right? So try harder doesn't work. Now, before we go any farther, I have to give you all a warning. You can misinterpret this teaching today to say, hey, I can just be lazy. If I'm not supposed to try harder, I'll just be lazy. I'll just goof off. Let's just examine that a little bit. Go back to the beginning of the Bible. When did work start? Did work start before or after Adam and Eve screwed up and, and things got bad? Not after. Work started before the fall, God said, put them in the garden and you're to tend the garden. That happened before they screwed up. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? So work isn't a result of sin, which means it's not a bad thing. In fact, I tell you folks, I can't find retirement in the Bible. I mean, you can retire from your job, but as long as you're breathing, you shouldn't be retired or, or capable. So work is a blessing from God. It gives us purpose. It gives us meaning. It, it provides, it produces stuff. And you look at the Bible, you look at all the people in the Bible, they all were hard workers. Go all the way back to Noah building that boat. Can you imagine? <laughs> that would have been a huge task, hard work. Uh, we'll talk about Moses a little bit later. Leading the Israelites out of Egypt and around for 40 years, that was really hard work. Then we get up to David. David was a shepherd, which was hard work. Then he became a musician, musicians. You, would, you tell me, I'm not a musician, but you tell me it's hard work, right? Especially if you're going to do it well. Then he was a poet and an author, and then he became a, a military leader, and he's very successful at that. And then he became a king, and he expanded the, the, uh, the country of Israel, and he prepared them to build the temple, and he did all kinds of stuff. He's a hard worker. And then we skipped to the New Testament. Think about Paul. Paul starting all those churches, traveling over the eastern uh, Mediterranean, and they didn't have modern means of transportation back then. They didn't have cell phones, and he didn't even have a New Testament. And he, and he made those trips. He made at least three trips, and he would go back, and he would spend sometimes a year in a place starting a church from nothing. Uh, really worked hard. And of course, Jesus is our, is our best example. Did Jesus work hard? What do you think? You read through the New Testament. You know, some days he was sun up to sundown. He was healing people. Uh, 
taking care of people, performing miracles, etc., etc. Jesus worked hard. Now, Jesus is different than us in this one big, well, two big ways. He had perfect balance in his life, right? So when he needed to take a break, he, he knew when to take a break and how to take a break. And the other thing was, Jesus never got resentful in his busyness. You ever get resentful in your business? Busyness? You resent, sometimes maybe your kids, you got to run them out here and there. You might resent, uh, you might resent the church for the stuff you do around here. Hopefully not. Uh, resent uh, your employer, resent your parents, uh, your spouse, whatever. Uh, Jesus never was resentful about his busyness. So, this teaching is not to give you an excuse to be lazy or to be undisciplined. In fact, we're going to talk about discipline. We'll talk about it now, actually. Discipline should come from a place of relationship, not a place of obligation. Meaning this, when you do the stuff you do, why do you do it? When you work hard. Okay? Uh, Husbands, if you work for your family, say your wife is a stay-at-home mom, why do you work hard? Is it because you're, oh, I got to take care of my family. I hate it, but I got to do it. No, you love your family, so you work hard to provide for them. So it comes out of place of relationship, not out of obligation. The other point is, you don't do it to get your family's approval, do you? Well, my wife's not going to like me unless I work really hard. My kids aren't going to like me unless I work really hard. No, it's not a, motivation is not approval. You already have their approval. You're already loved by them. Think about this way. Back to Moses and Israelites are out in the, in the, in the desert and then God gives them the Ten Commandments. Now, why do you give the Ten Commandments? Did he give the Ten Commandments and say, okay, if you do this, you do all ten of these things, you can stay my people. You can be my promised people. But if you screw it all up, I'm getting rid of you. See, it wasn't out of obligation that they were taught to keep the Ten Commandments. It was out of relationship. They had a relationship with God, and God said, this is for a better life for you. This is for a better connection with me. This is for the way you can have a better relationship with one another. Do these ten things. Not out of obligation, but out of relationship. Now, as I go through this this morning, I have to say, I have to confess that there's going to be a tension between, I'm going to say this, my part and God's part. <laughs> uh, what, I, what I need to do and what God does. And, and we're going to look at this illustration that Jesus gave us in John 15. Again, this is on the last night he's with his disciples. And we talked a whole series about one of the things he said on the last night. And this is a story he tells on the last night when he's with the disciples. And he's trying to get through to them what's really important that you really need to remember because I'm going to be gone and not be able to teach you anymore. So it's in John chapter 15. And he uses this illustration of uh, a vineyard. All right? Uh, it's kind of interesting. These have become really popular in, in our culture, vineyards. There's like 50-some vineyards in Maryland now. There used to be hardly any. Uh, so we, we know a little bit more about vineyards now than we used to. But that was very popular where Jesus grew up. And he starts the story by saying, I, Jesus, am the true vine. I'm the true grapevine. All right? And my father, which meaning God, is the gardener. 
So he's setting up this scenario. We've got a grapevine and we've got a gardener. gardener takes care of the grapevine, right? That's the only two characters we have in the story at this point. He's also going to talk about a branch in the next part, but he doesn't tell us what the branches are until later. So then he goes on. The branches of the vine, he, meaning God, he's the gardener, cuts off every branch of mine, of my great vine, that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more fruit, even more. Now, this is fairly interesting to me. Okay, doesn't mean, it doesn't matter if you're a, a bad branch or a branch that's not doing anything, or a good branch, both get cut on, <laughs> don't they? Now, the one gets cut off because it has no use. The other gets cut back or pruned so it will be more productive. So you can't spare being <laughs> cut on, so to speak, uh, in either situation. You've already, he's telling these disciples, you've already been pruned for greater fruitfulness. How? By the message I have given you. So part of the pruning is receiving God's message. So I mean, we're here in church and receive a message or reading our Bible as a message. This is part of the pruning process. It's part of us following Jesus, changing together, as we say it. So we got a picture of a grapevine up here. <laughs> so on a grapevine, you want to see grapes, right? Big, juicy, lots of big clusters of grapes. That's your goal if you have a grapevine. And I used to have one, and they grow like crazy, grapevines do. Um, but if you just let them go, you get lots of leaves and what? Very, very few grapes. It looks really nice and it's really healthy. It looks really healthy, but you don't get much grapes. I don't know how to prune it, so I just had this grapevine. So then it gets into the main point here. He says, remain in me. If you've got an older translation of the Bible, it uses the word abide. Abide in me. And I will remain in you. All right. Who gets the choice here? You do. I do. I get to decide if I want to abide or not. I get to decide if I want to remain or not. I get to decide if I want to stay connected or not. If I decide to stay connected, he will stay connected. Right? That's the promise. So God's not going to turn us away. God's not going to forsake us. I'm the one that had the choice. He's always ready to stay connected with us. It's our choice to connect or not. A branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. Now, that makes sense, right? <laughs> you cut the vine off, it has no source of nutrients, and so it can't live. And so, you and I cannot be fruitful unless we remain connected, he says, to me or in Jesus. So, how are you and I Productive. How are you and I fruitful? By staying connected, right? That's the only way. Now that word abide or remain is a, a term that means stay home. <laughs> Be at home. That's what the word literally means. We would say stay in relationship. So then the next verse he tells us literally that we're, we're the branches. I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus' followers are the branches. Now, the ones, well, we'll get there in a second. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Not maybe, 
right? If we remain connected, if we've been pruned, we will produce much fruit. Not just even a little bit of fruit, much fruit. But apart from me, you can't do anything. You can't do nothing. There's going to be no fruit. Now, there can be activity, <laughs> but nothing fruitful. Now, what's, the, what's the, the most popular word that comes out of a two-year-old's mouth? Mine. Hey, you guys are sharp this morning. It's mine, right? I, I re- I, some of you teach two-year-olds back here. Actually, there's a, uh, Sonia's back there today, I think, for the first time. Pray for her. But anyway, uh, yeah. So it doesn't matter if you have a whole room of toys. If one child has a toy, he's going to say it's mine, and somebody else is going to say, no, it's, our, it's theirs, right? Mine. First word they learn. <clears throat> God has to deal with the two-year-old in all of us. And we, without even thinking, we do this. We say, this is my car, my house, my job, my family, my career, my plan, you know, my money. We use it all the time, don't we? And God says to us, no, it is. No, no. <laughs> no, it's not. It's mine. It's all mine. It's my plan. It's my, you know, it's my money. It's my house. And you just get to use it. Now, the problem is, most of us are control freaks, just like the two-year-old. He wants to control the, the toy. You know, there's three of, four of us in a car. Three of us want to be driving, right? Because we want to be in control. <clears throat> and God says, no, you're not in control. I'm in control. Now, the bad news is that I'm not in control, that I can't make the decision. The good news is that I'm not carrying the responsibility, am I? God is. And God says, I want you to figure out why you're here. Why you exist, why you're in this place, in this time, in this family, this church, this country, whatever. God wants you to figure that out. Reminds me of the the story of the logger. This guy goes in this logging camp and says, I want to hire somebody. I'm going to pay you twice as much as anybody else is getting paid. So this guy volunteers and he says, here's your job. Once you get your ax and flip it over to the dull side and just keep hitting this log and I'll pay you twice as much as you're already making. The guy, okay. So he does this about half a day and then he quits. I can't understand. Why are you quitting? I'm paying you twice as much as you were making. He said, it's no fun. When I swing my axe, I want to see the chips fly. And this isn't any fun. And God says to you and I, he wants us to find out what is fun. What, what for you and I makes the chips fly. Now the interesting thing about fruit is fruit comes in season, doesn't it? You can't pick grapes 24-7, 365 days a year. There's a process. And the same thing in your life in my life, <clears throat> it's a process. I mentioned that we've got, what, uh, 17 people have joined the church. There's at least four more people going to join the church. Uh, it's probably been a year, and nobody's joined, okay? But it's a process, and a lot of you haven't been here much more than two years. And you've gotten to the point in the process where you want to take ownership for our church also. Another point is, and how much stress is on the grape? Now, I was questioned about this after the first service. 
The best grapes come from stressed vines. But are the grapes stressed? No. And so when you and I get stressed, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, the problem is we're trying to be in control, right? That's where the stress comes from. But anyway, next verse. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. I don't want to get real theologically here, but this means you're not a true Jesus follower. That's all it means, right? Maybe you're religious, but you're not a Jesus follower. Then he goes on. But if you stay joined, so there's choices, but if you stay joined to me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Now here's another verse that we overinterpret. Does that mean, okay, God, I'm going to stay connected to you. Now make me a millionaire. Is that what that verse tells you? Is that what that verse means? No. Does the grape get to tell the vine what it wants? No, the vine tells the grape. So really it's basically saying, hey, I want to stay connected to you, and (laughs) I just want to do what you want me to do. That's what it truly says. Sometimes we say, you know, we pray and we say, but your will, God, be done. Of course, his will is going to be done over ours anyway. But it's a great promise. If you're connected with God and God lays something on your heart that you need to really ask him about, you can claim that promise. And then he finishes up, or we're going to finish up. He kept passages longer. We're going to finish up here. When you produce much fruit, not if. So if you stay connected, you're going to produce much fruit. And then he says, you're my true disciples. Now, we spent a whole series talking about Jesus saying, you're my true disciples if you love one another, right? So this is an extension of that. And you're my true disciples if you're fruitful. And this brings great glory to my Father. Now, what is fruit? Uh, I've heard this taught, maybe I've even taught it in the past, that it's other believers. But that really doesn't fit the analogy. <clears throat> So what is a fruit? Well, there's a part in the Bible that talks about called the fruit of the Spirit. It's singular. It's got nine aspects. I'm debating about doing a series on that next year. Maybe I will, maybe I won't, but uh, something that inter- fascinates me or interests me. So it's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, etc. So if you and I are bearing fruit, we're going to be loving and peaceful and long-suffering and one of those is self-control, which is one I don't like in the list because sometimes I lack a little bit of that. But anyway, if I become more and more like Jesus, I'm going to have more self-control. <clears throat> now, who provides the healthy environment? The gardener does, right? The gardener provides the weeding and the pruning and, and watering if he has to. Of course, we know God even provides the sun. But he says to us, we should have joy. I don't know if grapes have joy, but if a grape becomes a ripe grape, I'm sure it has fulfilled its purpose, right? So the question is, how do I know? How do I know when I am abiding or remaining or I'm just trying hard on my own? <clears throat> First, Jesus didn't say, try harder. Not in this passage, did he? What did he say? He says, stay, come closer or stay connected, or, or remain, or abide. So we've got to keep our role straight. My role is to stay connected. His role is to provide. We're trying to illustrate it this way. We have what we call Mappy and Pappy Camp at our house. 
in the summertime and a bunch of our grandkids come. So my wife comes up with these projects for the kids, but they're really projects for me. Let me try to explain. So this year's project was walking sticks. So who went out in the woods and collected a bunch of branches? Pappy did. All right, put them in the garage. The kids come out and they all picked one. Who cut the branches up into walking sticks? Pappy did. Who took all the bark off the walking sticks? Pappy did. Then we gave them to the grandkids to paint. And so they painted them. And then my wife put leather at the top for a handle. And I haven't finished the project yet because I have to then put some kind of, you know, uh, coating over this to keep protected, the paint. So, what was the kid's job? What was the grandkid's job? You just kind of hang out with Pappy, right? And Pappy was doing most of the work. <laughs> Same thing with God. God says, just, just hang out with me, stay connected with me, and you'll get this pretty walking stick at the end. <laughs> All right? I don't know if that helps or not, but anyway, hopefully it did. <clears throat> Where are we going? All right. Kind of connect with this next statement. Uh, Try harder faith is about me. See, it wasn't about the grandkids, really, was it? I mean, they got the paint, and it was cute, and, and so forth. Uh, they weren't trying hard. <laughs> Pappy, in this case, I'm not God, obviously, but Pappy, in this case, was doing all the hard work, right? <clears throat> Coming closer is about God. So the cool thing for me, and hopefully for them, was that we were doing this together, the project, right? So I don't know <clears throat> sometimes which I'm doing. I'll confess that. Sometimes I'm doing the try harder stuff. Hopefully most of the time I'm doing the come closer stuff. So I want to give you some help to how to figure out when you're doing it right or wrong. So we're going to give you three questions. Why am I doing the things I'm doing? First, what is motivating me? I shouldn't say, do you ever. When you find yourself complaining <laughs> about whatever, running the kids or your schedule or whatever, <clears throat> Uh, that's an indication you're doing it for the wrong reason. There's this famous author, lady, author and speaker, and she was just, you know, going here and there, doing all kinds of stuff, writing books, speaking. She got really resentful about it, and then all of a sudden she, she sensed that God was saying to her, I didn't make your schedule. Because she was even getting resentful for God. God, you got, I've got him doing all this stuff. God says, I didn't make your schedule. This is the choices you've made. And mostly probably to prove, you know, that you're productive. So why do you do what you do? You know, I mean, you might be resentful about the stuff you do around the church here. And if you are, then it's a problem. Stuff you do with your family. So when you get angry, resentful, or bitter, it's an indication that you're doing the try harder faith and not the stay closer faith. Uh, another test is this. Who am I obeying? <clears throat> if you're playing on a sports team, in practice, the only people around are your coaches usually, right? And so they're telling you what you want to do. But game day, you got your parents in the stands. You got the fans in the stands. And some fans are more boisterous than others. So if you're out there on the field or on the court, you hear all these voices. So it's really important to tune into whose voice? Coach's voice, Right? Same thing with, with us. We need to figure out who we're supposed to be obeying because there's all kinds of voices out there. Now, 
sometimes I call some of you folks, and I, I don't identify myself, and I can tell you don't know who I am on the other end. Oh, and I'll say, oh, this is Pastor Allen. <clears throat> sometimes you call me and don't identify yourself, and I'll say, excuse me, who is this? All right. But there's one person that calls me on my phone that I never have to ask that question. Who do you think that is? My wife, exactly. Of course, the cell phone says Deb on there, but before cell phones, I still didn't have to. We just celebrated 39 uh, wedding anniversary on Thursday. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> it's interesting. Our, our neighbor, Wally, is amazed that we've been married 39 years because most people he knows, and his you know, group of people haven't been married that long. They've been divorced and remarried, whatever. So it's really important to know the voice. So how do we know the voice? We talk about it's important that you read your Bible, it's important that you pray, not because out of obligation again, but because you want to be able to recognize the voice. Third question you're going to ask yourself, if you're trying to figure it out if you're doing this right, what am I producing? And by this I mean, what comes out when you're squeezed? What comes out when you're stressed? Is it love, joy, peace, etc.? Or something else. And I confess, some, sometimes it's something else. But hopefully there's more of that now than it used to be if you're, you know, getting closer to mature. <clears throat> but again, we need to discipline ourselves to produce fruit. And one way to think about this is when you do something good, do people still like you? You ever have somebody do something good for you and didn't like the person afterwards? Because it's about the relationship. Now, when we get this wrong, we get stuck. You ever uh, get stuck in the mud or stuck in the snow, and the harder you try, what happens? The deeper you get stuck, right? And the same thing in our lives. So we're going to look at, as we finish up here, and I'm going a little long, I apologize. Let's uh, look at three traps or ways we get stuck. One is the approval trap. Approval trap. While, you, while you're doing this stuff, to try and gain somebody approval, either your, again, your spouse, your parents, or God. And we talked about good theology. Theology is made up of doctrine. That's just things you believe. And here it's really important that you, we understand the doctrine of reconciliation. That means just reconnecting. Whether reconnecting with God or reconnecting with your spouse or your kids or whatever. So when we get stuck in the approval trap, best way to get unstuck is to realize that you are already accepted. One way to think about it is this term here. Once you're a Jesus follower, God says you're one of his kids. Now, many of us have kids. Do our kids have to do certain things? And then we say, okay, I accept you as my kid now because you worked really hard. In fact, they can be lazy bums, right? And they're still your kids. So they're already accepted because we're in relationship. It's not because uh, of what they've done. So that's the approval trap. Second trap is addictions. And we all tend to have some kind of addiction, some serious, some not so serious. Paul's writing in, in Romans, he says in chapter 7, he says, I, I really want to do what's right, but I don't. And I really don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. What's he saying? He said, I know it's right and wrong, and I'm motivated to do it, but I just can't do it. 
or I don't do it. So one way I like to think about addictions is this way. Surrender isn't about giving up, and that's what we do sometimes. Well, I'm on this diet, but I just can't keep stay on this diet. I'm on this exercise program, and I can't stay on this. Or, you know, I haven't looked at pornography on the, on the Internet for a month, but now I can't, I, you give in. Whatever it might be. Food, money, some kind of addiction. Surrender isn't about giving up. That's what we do, is it? It's about giving in. Let me try and explain that. Uh, if you've ever been in a, an AA program or some recovery program, there's a Christian version called Celebrate Recovery. And it starts this way. And it's similar to AA. I admit that I am not God and I am powerless to control my tendency to do that wrong thing. Whatever your wrong thing is. Plug it in there. You are powerless. Willpower won't do it. It wouldn't work for Paul. It doesn't work for you. So you say, I can't do it. I'm powerless to be in control. We want to be control. We're control freaks, but we can't be. <clears throat> and my life is unmanageable. So I'm not God. I can't do it. God, I need your help. Now, there's two parts of this, and we'll look at this in this next phrase, and we're about finished. Confession to God is for forgiveness. Okay, so that's what that is. I, I, I screw up, God. I, I can't control this. Forgive me. But then confession to one another is for healing. You really want to get victory in that. That's why support groups are so important and so successful. Because you have somebody come alongside you and help you through the difficult time. So it's not necessarily about working harder. It's about being more honest or more revealing about your addiction with somebody else. And the third and last trap we're going to talk about this morning, the way we get stuck, is achievement. Achievement. Ten Commandments. Who knows what the fourth commandment is? It's the longest one. By far the longest. One, two, three, four. What's the fourth one? Come on. I know some of you know this. We don't have time. Wait. Anyway, it's keep the Sabbath day. All right? Now, it's really fascinating because the Israelites were slaves for all those years and they didn't have a, they were, had to work 24-7. They were slaves. So they get out in the, in, in the wilderness, and now they're God's people, and Moses, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And he says, hey, one day out of seven, you get to do what you want to do, not what you have to do. That's pretty cool, right? And so he said, celebrate your freedom. And it wasn't about becoming unplugged or unconnected with God. It was a day set aside to be, have special time to be connected with God. So it's not about working harder, spinning our wheels in the mud or the snow. <laughs> That's the way we get stuck. It's about coming closer. And maybe you've heard your whole life about do it hard, work harder, work harder, work harder. Uh, and we're going to finish up by just saying it this way. It's not about trying harder. Because we all have messed up many times doing it that way, haven't we? It's about coming closer. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. I would pray that each of us would get at least a little more, make a little more progress in this area. Where we'd be able to, to relax a little bit, to enjoy a little bit, that we would uh, understand our role and, and your role, and that we'd find our roles, that joy we find from seeing the chips fly. And just thank you, God, that you're in control. That We don't have it. We can't anyway, but we try. We can't be in control. 
We pray that today all of us come maybe one step closer because about closer faith. And we pray for anybody that hasn't stepped across that line into faith with you, a relationship with you, God, that today would be the day. You say, yes, I want to have that relationship. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.